Welcome everybody to this uh, continuing uh, series on um, all of the text. We're in chapter 15 right now. Today we'll be looking at section 10 um, today and then on Saturday morning uh, Lynn will look at the last section in chapter 15, uh, section 11. Uh, today is the time of rebirth. Uh, last section is called the end of sacrifice. Actually both these sections really kind of, um, not kind of, but really do emphasize and look at <laughs> the idea of sacrifice and being willing to let it go from all kinds of angles, <laughs> from every possible angle you can think of. Sacrifice becomes a huge theme, um, certainly in this chapter. Uh, he talks about it the most, and then when he gets to chapter 26, which is called the transition, he talks about it again a lot, um, so it's it's a running through theme throughout the whole throughout the whole uh, text, and but certainly in fifteen and in chapter twenty six, he he really um, emphasizes uh, looking at it, letting it go, admitting how much we believe in sacrifice, and then being willing to let go of that belief. Um, yesterday, when we were doing the. Uh, the uh, introduction to a course, the word guilt came up, which, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a popular word in the course. <laughs> Jesus talks about guilt about 800 times. And um, it's a slippery word. Uh, we don't use that much in our culture. We don't use, um, we don't talk about guilt. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, it, it, it's become a, a, an apolitical, um, a, a not right thing to talk about guilt. Because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're so full of guilt <laughs> that we don't want to talk about it. Um, and certainly in our culture, I think that's true. But, and a lot, Lynn was saying, you know, a lot of course students, when they start coming across that word guilt, that they don't, um, they don't identify with it. They don't feel the guilt. However, <laughs> what we're pretty aware of, though we don't put it this way, is we're really aware of not maybe our, our own guilt, but we're certainly aware of guilt in other people. Who are, the, who are the people responsible for when things go bad? We don't use that word guilt so much, but we do blame them. <laughs> and we do say they should, you know, be responsible for what they do or don't do, and they should eventually own up to it and... Uh, if need be, be punished for it. <laughs> so it's not so much we're aware of our own guilt, but we're really aware of other people's guilt, but we don't use that word. We call it blaming, we call it um, um, they're responsible or, or they're being irresponsible, whatever. Um, but for Jesus, guilt's a big word. Another big word in the Course that's slippery too is this word sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really slippery. <laughs> it's, it, and it's probably as slippery as guilt because when, when, you, when we begin to look at it, guilt and sacrifice are really synonymous. Um, it takes a while to, to kind of get a handle on that, but just, just that we avoid using those words in our everyday <laughs> vernacular, um, it, it, you know, it, it's either we talk about things too much <laughs> Or we don't talk about them at all, and if we're avoiding talking about them, there's probably a reason for that. And certainly from Jesus' point of view, um, we don't want to look at how guilty internally we are, and we don't want to look at how much we are so addicted to this idea of sacrifice. 
that sacrifice is what um, the ego is all about. And, and just to even get a handle on that intellectually is huge. And, and then eventually be willing to look <laughs> at, am I really sacrificing all the time? Do I believe in sacrifice? Do I believe you have to sacrifice for me, for me to get what I want? Do I believe I have to sacrifice for you to get to, to somehow set up a bargain with you that I'll sacrifice for you a little bit if you sacrifice for me a little bit? We don't use that word. We call it bargain or compromising, but Jesus really wants us to look at the price we're paying to believe in even the idea of sacrifice. And what, what, what that entails and how that manifests um, everywhere <laughs> in everything we do, think, and say. So the two big slipperiest words, I think two of, two of the words that are the most slippery in the course to look at, get a handle on, be, be willing to maybe even admit um, are guilt and sacrifice. Um, sacrifice is used in the course about 250 times, um, and like I say, mostly here in chapter 15, and later on in chapter 26, called the transition. He's really trying to get us to look at the transition from hanging on to sacrifice and the belief in it to not hanging on to it <laughs> and believing that's what we have to do. That's the transition. Um, and certainly um, in terms of the chart, uh, we start with looking at how much we believe we have to sacrifice in, as bodies um, in the world. Once again, we don't call it that. We call it, I have to go to work today. <laughs> but that really means, it, it, you know, from Jesus' point of view, I have to go to work and sacrifice my time, my energy, so I get paid. And then you have to sacrifice your money because then you have to pay it to me. We, once again, we don't call that sacrifice. We call that going to work. <laughs> We call it, you know, at, at, at best, a bargain. We made a deal with our boss that if I do this for him, he's going to do this for me. But what, what it entails, and certainly in time and space, it's, it's important to do that. <laughs> it's the way we survive. What it entails is, is a compromise, a bargain, a deal, a sacrifice. Each person is willing to sacrifice a certain amount of what they have time, energy, money, whatever, in order to get a sacrifice from somebody else. And that's just the way the world is. One of the ways of looking at the world that's kind of horrendous, but it's true, is that life as we know it in the world has to eat other life in order to stay alive. I mean, just sit with that. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, even if you're a vegetarian, you still got to take out the poor vegetables. You still got to be chopping on those things <laughs> and devouring them and getting your life from them. I mean, it, you know, it's like, like, where are you going to draw the line? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't eat meat, but I, I sort, sure do a number on vegetables <laughs> or nuts or fruit or whatever it is I'm munching on. And, you know, it's like, when you look at it from Jesus' point of view, everything in form is an image of the Son of God, pretending it's not the Son of God, including the vegetable you're chopping on. So, I mean, at some point we have to look at this <laughs> and, and, and recognize what Jesus is talking about, that the whole world of time and space, and you might want to, if you're not on uh, speaker view, just to see the chart, 
It's a world of sacrifice. In time and space, we sacrifice in order to get a sacrifice back. That's what special love is. We do bargains, we do deals. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to get us to look at in this chapter. Special love relationships are all about setting up a bargain, a deal. I'll sacrifice for you if you sacrifice for me. And hopefully, you'll sacrifice a little bit more for me than I'm going to sacrifice for you. That's the, that's the hopeful part of the bargain, of any bargain, of any deal, of any sacrifice. But it's a world of sacrifice. We sacrifice things all the time. Special hate relationships, we don't think twice. We just want to you know, <laughs> punish them, destroy them. It's obvious, you know, who needs to be sacrificed or pay. Um, who's responsible? So uh, in special hate, you're aware that, you, you, you know, you want somebody to get their just due. In special love, we don't realize at first that it's a setup for eventually the other shoe dropping and, and realizing all the, all the sacrifices I made for you. <laughs> Look what you did to me. <laughs> Now you're really the guilty party. So, uh, in a lot of ways, guilt and sacrifice are synonymous because um, guilt is based on the idea that we left heaven, we did something terrible, and we're off and running. The idea of sacrifice is, is that we left heaven, we did something terrible, we took a piece of God's life, and we set up our own life. Jesus is really adamant at the end of chapter 23, there is no life outside of heaven. But once we stepped outside of heaven, the way we defined life was life had to eat life in order to have life. So in a sense, we all became cannibals. <laughs> we all had to eat a part of our connection, our life with God in order to create a new identity. That was the belief. So it was the tiny man idea of separation. And, and the tiny mad of guilt that we did something terrible when we separated. And the tiny mad idea of sacrifice that we had to sacrifice our connection with our Father in order to be off and running as a separate identity. That's how we became what we are. So in that sense, guilt and, and sacrifice, both that, those beliefs both kicked in at the same time. And then the worst part is, is since we are a thing that came from sacrifice, we are a thing that came from us severing our connection with our Father, true life in heaven, and taking a part of that and running with it and creating our own identity, then our identity is totally sustained at that point by us staying cannibals. We have to eat life in order to have life. And then that gets projected on the world where, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> I just was born a body. Bodies do what they have to do. They have to eat in order to stay alive. I have to eat life in order to, uh, to have life. And, you know, it's just normal. You grow up as a kid. <laughs> you don't like your vegetables <laughs> so much, but, you know, you, you'll eat the other stuff. But it's still this idea that we have to eat life in order to have life came from that original idea the tiny, mad idea of sacrifice. It's not just the tiny, mad idea of separation. It's the tiny, mad idea. We had to sacrifice our real connection, our real life with our Father, and in order to make up a whole new existence. So whenever you're reading words like about guilt, 
about sacrifice, about anything that seems really slippery to you and it's just not connecting, that's where I think the chart is really helpful because it all goes back to this. Anything in the world that, even in the world, we don't want to admit how guilty we feel or we don't, we don't even want to admit how much guilt we're laying on other people. We just think it's normal. <laughs> of course they should be punished. Look what they did. So, I mean, all of this here started with this. All the guilt we see in the world started with our own tiny mad idea of guilt. All, all the sacrifice we believe in in the world started with this tiny mad idea of sacrifice. And, and it's, really, it's really important to get a handle on that, I think, even intellectually, because otherwise, as a course student, we'll just avoid it. <laughs> yes, Jesus talks about sacrifice, but so what? What's it got to do with me? <laughs> you know, Jesus talks about guilt, but so what? What's it got to do with me? I'll tell you who's guilty. <laughs> I'll tell you who needs to, to pay to play because of what they did. <laughs> they should be sacrificed, not me. I mean, we're really preoccupied <laughs> for a reason with all of this drama in the world. So we don't look at what the original tiny mad idea was all about. I mean, separation just sounds just kind of academic. <laughs> but you start throwing guilt and sacrifice in there, everybody shuts down. Nobody wants to look at that. <laughs> That's why we came here. <laughs> we want to look at other people's... <laughs> that should be punished, other people that are guilty, other people that should be sacrificed. Any any questions or comments about that, at least intellectually? Judy, go ahead. I was just thinking as we were talking how prevalent sacrifice and guilt are, of course, in both the Old and New Testament. Um, certainly, um, yeah, in, in the Old Testament, the suffering servant in Isaiah and um, and certainly the crucifixion of Jesus um, and um, the whole mass is us eating Jesus um, you know so um, crudely put um, so it really is part of the whole underlying thought system more so um, and people that grew up and were active Christians, maybe. Um, you know, as we get in the post-Christian world, that's when some of these ideas about sacrifice go under the surface a bit, I think. Anyway, just an aside. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Judy. Um, well, just, you know, I mean, and that is funny. It's like my idea of sacrifice is, is okay, but you're, you're throwing the virgin into the volcano isn't okay. <laughs> I mean, it's okay for the volcano god, it's not, it's not okay for the volcano god to demand that it devour the virgin, but certainly that's what Christianity is based on. God sent his only son to be devoured by us, <laughs> crucified on the cross, sacrificed on the cross. Uh, then we have, you know, competing sacrifices. The virgin thrown into the volcano <laughs> is way worse than us hanging Jesus on a cross. Is it really? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, we put the Son of God on a cross, for God's sake. We, the poor, poor natives are just throwing one little virgin into a volcano. <laughs> I mean, we crucified the Son of God. We sacrificed the Son of God, and then we worship that sacrifice. 
I mean, you look at the, anything, any religion from the Course's point of view, like Judy says, it's all about sacrifice. Those poor goats at the Krishna, uh, at the uh, Shiva temple, <laughs> they get their he heads chopped off. For, for, because God, the god Shiva and the god Krishna, uh, um, not Krishna, but Kali, is, is demanding blood. I mean, this idea of sacrifice is so inherent, not just in religion, but just that we, in the way we eat, <laughs> the way we stay alive. Go ahead, Bruce. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I was, it ties in so closely with martyrdom and victimhood and, and obviously all, all forms of projection. But, you know, I was thinking as you, you know, brought up the topic, I was thinking, well, just the idea that we're separate from perfect oneness is, is the ultimate sacrifice. And we believe we pulled it off. But, you know, with, like you say, it's mostly unconscious because, you know, we don't even think in those terms for the most part. Um, but uh, I, I was reminded again of the four Yorkshiremen. If, if anybody hasn't seen that skit where it's, where it's you know, four guys sitting around, uh, Monty Python, of course, uh, <laughs> talking about, you know, reminiscing about how, how, well, they're talking about how nice it is now, but then remem reminiscing about how it was tough when they were a kid and, and they, they the glorification and the rhapsodizing about, you know, their suffering in, in the past. Uh, it's just, they just, you know, it's a one downsmanship uh, exercise that's pretty hilarious. But but when you watch it and realize, wait a minute, we all do this all the time. And it's usually about little nitpicky stuff like, like you know, rearranging stuff in the fridge or the dishwasher or or, or, or somebody cutting off in traffic or, or you know, just all, all the little niggling stuff of, of everyday life that is our forgiveness classroom that we kind of over, conveniently overlook and say, oh, I'm not making any sacrifice. But, but the, the big sacrifice is really, you know, the choice of teachers. We, we, we chose the wrong teacher and that's an enormous sacrifice. We don't even, can't even fathom. <laughs> anyway, I was also thinking that today's workbook lesson, um, you know, the review of it can be, but myself, I crucify fits pretty nicely with that too. So mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Right. Yeah. Right. It can be, but myself, I sacrifice. <laughs> We're, we're I live in one of oh, the most. Go ahead, Alan. I live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, and it's often that people are out there saying how beautiful the ocean is and how beautiful the trees are, and and my thought to myself always is, right underneath this, everything is eating everything else. <laughs> fish are devouring the fish. The trees are devouring the water. Uh, I mean, there's no exception. Everything is eating everything else. And sometimes I express that vocally and people are taken back because they're, they're, they're into this, how beautiful this cover is. And the cover here is, is enormous in terms of this effectiveness in hiding that devouring of, of everything. Yeah, and, and you know, Jesus is, is not telling us don't enjoy the beach. <laughs> I mean, he's not telling us we have to sacrifice the beach or, or our enjoyment of a sunset or our preference in coffee, you know, Starbucks or whatever. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to give that up. But what he's asking us to do is give up the idea of sacrifice. I, I, I think he is asking us to understand what we're doing, mm -hmm. to acknowledge what we're doing. Yeah. You can ultimately, enjoy it, but acknowledge it. Sure, sure. Uh, the other thing I was thinking when, when Bruce was talking is we don't use the word sacrifice, but when we're in a whiny mood, 
in 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 12 steps they they, they want to serve you cheese with your wine whenever you're whining about anything it's you're insisting the world is unfair and and look how much the world is demanding that i have to give up and sacrifice all whining is about how unfair the world has been to me one of the things that Jesus gets into in these sections is how the world demands sacrifice of us. How unfair is that? <laughs> so we don't use the word sacrifice, but we certainly whine about how unfair things are. I mean, we all do that for sure. <laughs> Stephen? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, interesting. Uh, ironic you just talked about whining because that's, that's a little bit of what I want to talk about. You want to whine? <laughs> I go, you know, I'm, I'm vigilant on this stuff. I do it every day. Uh, you know, I, I go to other, uh, there, we have three classes uh, in the area where I live. And here recently, uh, all three classes were hitting sacrifice. And I, I whined in all three classes that I don't get this. I don't understand. I mean, and I've got 12 years of catechism. Uh, Catholic University that you know I, how in the world do I get to this point and I'm still in denial about that you know that that particular thing so I'm so I just wanted to thank you for for hitting this because I don't know uh, how it could be so much in the course and how I could you know <laughs> how I could keep hearing it and reading it and and still not understanding I, I think I understand it better this morning from from just the, the little you've said uh, the, the, than I ever have uh, this is a this is really deep denial, and we really have to look at this. And I did the same thing with guilt two years ago. So, so uh, just just to confirm what you're saying, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Stephen. Rebecca, did you have something? Yeah, I think it's kind of in line with what Stephen's saying. Um, it's a question. I'm wondering if you could go back and. I, yeah, obviously, I'm just not getting it. On the level of the mind, can you talk about the relationship? What's happening is my ego wants to know what came first, sacrifice or guilt? <laughs> so I was just wondering if maybe you could help me out. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that neither one happened. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> and. And every, you know, I mean, we talk about sin, guilt, fear, as if they happen chronologically. Well, when one kicked in, the other two kicked in. So one way to look at sin is we, we separated from God. We sacrificed our connection with God. I mean, it could be sacrifice, guilt, then fear. Okay. If you want to look at it. Go ahead. Yeah, so when I was reading in section and section 10, I guess the question came from this the the phrase I and I'm sorry I don't know where it is, but I wrote it down. Guilt cannot last when the idea of sacrifice has been removed. Mm -hmm. Can you I yep, I'm So I, so in terms of the sin guilt fear thing, guilt cannot last if the idea of sin is removed. So if you can get a handle on any of that, <laughs> then sacrifice cannot last if, if, if guilt is removed, but vice versa, you remove the idea of guilt, sacrifice can't last. Right, because there's what? nothing to feel guilty about anymore. Right. It's just I mean, it's, it's gone. Right, it's, it's like a reverse dominoes. You pull the rug on fear, sin and guilt disappear. You pull the rug on guilt, sin and fear disappear. You pull the rug on sin, 
you know, guilt and fear have to disappear. I mean, because it's all one package. You can't have one without the other two. So sacrifice, guilt, fear. First, we sacrifice our connection with our father. We separated. Then the guilt kicked in. Well, we made it up. <laughs> and then the fear kicked in, like God agrees with us that we did something terrible. And now, you know, he's got to do something terrible back. So which came first, chicken or egg? Yeah, they're the same. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, yeah. Tony? Yeah, it was a couple of things that came up, kind of piggybacking on what Bruce was talking about and um, the martyrdom and the victimhood. And I was thinking about um, mothers, you know, <laughs> that we talk about how they, you know, lay guilt under children. And sometimes parents, um, they, they kind of uh, talk about how much they have to sacrifice. Maybe they, uh, things they have to give up so that they're, they can give to their children maybe what they didn't have. And, and you know, it seems like such a noble uh, thing, but, you know, children always feel the guilt from that. <laughs> like, you know, you could have had a better life if it, if it wasn't for me. So um, I, I, that's one thing I was thinking about. And the other was, you know, God's will for us is our happiness. And so if we're really sacrificing, that's what we're sacrificing, our own joy and our happiness by believing in, you know, the ego and giving that power, uh, the belief in separation. That's what the, we are really sacrificing, you know, the true joy that we could have. So. Yeah, and you, and you take that true joy and then you compare it to what Alan was talking about. Like, it's almost self-deception on, on a scale so vast. You know, you're looking at this beautiful beach, and underneath the, the water line, all the fish are trying to eat each other. <laughs> I mean, of course they are. <laughs> that's, that's what fish have to do to stay alive. That's what we do to stay alive. <laughs> we just don't call it eating each other. <laughs> yeah, David? If you, if you talk about the uh, guilt and sacrifice, which comes first, my tendency would think that the guilt of having separated or thinking we separated from the Father is um, uh, what causes us to try to put the guilt that we have on somebody else, let somebody else take the hit and sacrifice for us. Yeah, Jesus was just calling you to agree with you. <laughs> you better answer it. He uh, hates when you don't answer the phone. <laughs> it's a robocall. <laughs> all right yeah right that's why yeah that's why projection is so important in the world <laughs> we don't want to look at you know that we're hanging on to these crazy internal beliefs of sacrifice <laughs> of guilt uh, of, of making up a god that we're afraid of and rather than admit all that then then we avoid that by saying it's not my fault look at what the world's doing Anybody, anybody else? Yeah, it, it's it, like, like once you start looking at it, <laughs> stuff starts coming to the surface. I mean, it'll come to this. I mean, look out today. <laughs> you, you can't talk about this stuff in the morning and not <laughs> by afternoon. Look out. <laughs> it'll, it'll jump out. Be careful. Alexa driving, for God's sake. <laughs> So, yeah. Go ahead, Bruce. 
I was just going to say, it seems like one of the chief mechanisms for reinforcing the notion of sacrifice is any kind of comparison. Comparing yourself to a former self or to a former time, comparing yourself to anyone else. Um, just, you know, any, any, any emphasis on differences will do it. It, it just it basically gets ego's foot in the door. It's like, okay, now, now we've established that differences are real. Now we can, we can you know, build a, a solid court case on your, your martyrhood, victimhood, uh, <laughs> sacrifice, and, and the, whole, the whole enchilada, right? So, so and, and, and one of the gruesome ways of looking at this <laughs> that I think Alan's talking about earlier is it needs to be looked at is every time I judge my brother I sacrifice his true identity. I mean, that's a horrible, guilty thing to do. <laughs> no matter how much we're, we think we're right about judging our brother. It's saying he's not the son of God. He did so, he's a body, and he did something terrible, and he should be punished. He is, and, and so we, we sacrifice, we, <laughs> in that judgment, we sacrifice his true identity. We say it's dead. There's no way he's the son of God. Look what he did. And then we want him to be punished for it. We want him to sacrifice something in order to pay to play. I mean, it's crazy. It, I mean, the lengths we go to to not look at and call this sacrifice is amazing. One of, I think one of the reasons we don't talk about guilt and sacrifice is certainly... You know, especially, be, you know, I mean, we, this is the whole Jewish, um, Judeo-Christian heritage that uh, at least West, Western culture grew up in. The whole idea of Jewish guilt, <laughs> Jewish mother's guilt, Catholic mother's guilt got laid on us. So who wants to talk about that anymore? <laughs> we didn't know it was just a symbol for the guilt Jesus was going to lay on us later. <laughs> Actually, he didn't do it. We just continuously lay it on ourselves and then pretend, you know, we didn't do it. We lay it on ourselves, we lay it on each other, et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead, Peggy Lee. Uh, uh, am I on or off? You're know. on. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about how we believe we're really good people when we sacrifice our time and, and our money. And, you know, the more that we exhaust ourselves, like then we're, we're thought of as really good people because we work so hard and sacrifice ourselves and we're good yeah in this world great <laughs> so i hope you notice <laughs> what a nice guy i am <laughs> and how much i sacrifice my time <laughs> yeah so so certainly you don't see that i'm the home of evil darkness and sin but more to the point i don't see it either <laughs> I, I, one of the one of the things that brought me to the course was, uh, as a as a young child, I, I I don't know how old, eight, nine, ten. I I recognized that. I said, if God has anything to do with this world, I want nothing to do with God. And as a consequence, I became uh, 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 an atheist. And when I felt religious, an agnostic. Um, <laughs> But the Course was the only thing that said God had nothing to do with this world because I was looking at the sacrifices, I guess, that I saw in the world mm -hmm. and said, uh, why would I want to associate with someone who built this? Mm -hmm. 
I, I remember the first time I heard Gloria Wapnick say the same thing. This is about, I don't know, 20 years ago in a seminar. How relieved she was when she found out God had nothing to do with the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of us are insulted by that. <laughs> Probably most of us. But some of us, you know, came up thinking, how could, how could God have anything to do with this? And even Jesus says in the Course, how could a loving God do this to his son? Meaning us, <laughs> not just his son Jesus, but how could he do it to us? How could he make a world where life has to eat life in order to stay alive? I mean, really? Would you do that to your kids if you had a choice? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, it's horrible. But, <laughs> from a Catholic point of view, and certainly, you know, Gloria and Ken both thought Mother Teresa, who was pre-Vatican Catholic, <laughs> um, pre-Vatican Council Catholic, she, she was pretty hardcore about sacrifice, that it was important. It was the way she was going to be holy. And, you know, and they thought she was one of the holiest people they met. So, <laughs> I mean, ultimately... <laughs> We all have to deal with this in one way or another, and ultimately, I mean, I think Mother Teresa's uh, incredible um, holiness came from her relationship with Jesus. That in that relationship, she realized her own, his holiness, and I think ultimately her own holiness. And, and I think that that happens with anybody in any religion if they're willing to connect with that voice of love eventually you'll realize we realize who we truly are because we're we're connecting with that voice of love which is our true identity so uh, i mean if we take that path in any religion including the course then we'll wind up there and jesus says no matter what religion you choose or 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 spirituality you choose you're going to wind up waking up <laughs> you will wake up to sacrifices impossible you're still the son of God, and so is everybody on the planet. So is every, every, everything, <laughs> period, is just an image of the son of God. Pretending it's not the son of God. Jeannie, you didn't sacrifice when you were growing up as a Catholic, did you? <laughs> Jeannie, can you, can you turn your mind? Do you know how to work, Carl's? Oh, you do. Good. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I sacrificed. <laughs> mea culpa. <laughs> mea culpa. <laughs> mea maxima culpa. The maxima really got us. <laughs> and then you had to beat your chest. <laughs> I suffer. Oh, God, I suffer. Oh, God, how I suffer. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was quite the ritual. <laughs> Some people really got into thumping heart. <laughs> So one of the, when Jim was working on uh, Lesson 187 the other day, in your workbook, on page 354, the whole idea of sacrifice came up. And it was interesting because the title is, beautiful title, I bless the world because I bless myself. I bless the world because I get in touch with my own holiness. And then I see, I perceive that the world is a reflection of my holiness. However, the opposite <laughs> of all that is the idea of sacrifice. The opposite of blessing the world is demanding that the world sacrifice itself because it's done unfair things. 
I condemn the world because the world's been unfair to me. <laughs> to me. Look what it's done to me. And he, he starts that whole idea of sacrifice in paragraph 6 on page 354 in the workbook. He says, never forget, forget you give but to yourself. Meaning, if you give the idea of blessing to your brother, you're giving it to yourself. But if you give the idea of condemnation and the demand for sacrifice from your brother, you're demanding that of yourself. And then he goes on, who understands what giving means must laugh at the idea of sacrifice. If you knew you were doing that to yourself, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> He's just going, nah, I'm not doing that. If I'm going to demand sacrifice of my brother, meaning he needs to pay to play for what he did, then, then that's what I'd be demanding of myself. He's not the son of God. Look what he did, and he should pay for it. Then I'm saying that about me. Why would I say that about me on a good day? <laughs> on, on a good waking up day, why would I do that to myself? I would laugh at that. No, I'm not going to do that. Nor can he fail to recognize the many forms which sacrifice may take, the way we hide it. And then he goes into the forms. Just believing you're a body is a sacrifice. <laughs> you sacrificed your true identity as the Son of God. And you're saying you're not that. And what do bodies feel? Pain. <laughs> they get old, they die. And before they die, they go through all kinds of nasty stuff. Nor can he fail to recognize the many forms which sacrifice may take. Meaning, now I believe I'm a body that can suffer. He laughs as well at pain and loss, at sickness, at grief, at poverty, starvation, at death. And it's not like we're laughing at other people that are going through that. We're just laughing at ourselves for believing in something that absurd if that's not what we are. We're not making fun of anybody else. We're just laughing at the absurdity about it. One of the, the great... Um, releases and freedoms I think that I experienced in the 12 steps in the early days when I started going to 12-step conferences was how much people laughed at themselves <laughs> how crazy they were that they could get to a point where what they did that would seem so painful and awful to themselves and everybody else suddenly not that they were being cruel but just that the absurdity of doing that in the first place the absurdity of believing that they had to do whatever it was they were doing in order to feel somewhat good. Well, that's what we do as bodies. <laughs> we believe we're bodies in order to feel somewhat good sometimes. And then, and then when we realize the absurdity of that, when we have an experience of the third step, we can smile at that. Jesus says laugh, but not in a demeaning way. He laughs at well at pain and loss, etc. And then line five, he recognizes sacrifice remains the one idea that stands behind them all. It's the tiny mad idea of sacrifice. I'm not the son of God anymore. I sacrificed that identity. You're not the son of God anymore. I sacrificed your identity. And then, then never admit we did something that silly. And be off and running and projecting it on the world. And in his gentle laughter are they all healed, in his gentle smiling, in his gentle smiling at himself for believing something that absurd. Is everybody healed? Because we were the ones that were condemning them. <laughs> we were, were the ones that were demanding sacrifice. 
we were the ones saying they were not the Son of God. And then, when we recognize those illusions, paragraph 7, they'll just evaporate. Meaning our investment in them will evaporate. We'll still see bodies and stuff. It's not like the world's going to disappear. But the real world is when you realize the world isn't real. The world of suffering and pain was just simply made up. So I could take my own responsibility for choosing to believe I could sacrifice you and me. And I put it on you. And you should pay. You should sacrifice. One, one way of looking at, at the word sacrifice is, is cost. What does this cost me? What do I have to pay to do this? And then we build religions around it. <laughs> Jesus had to pay for our sins. He had to suffer and die, sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins. And then, like Judy was saying, then we, <laughs> we make up the mass where we literally cannibalize Jesus. We believe we're, we're eating him in order to get his, I mean, there, there, you know, there's cannibal tribes that eat the warriors of other tribes because they feel like they imbibe their strength and their, and their, uh, and their integrity and all that. But, and we think the cannibals in, in the tribes are crazy, and yet we do it every day at Mass. <laughs> They're just eating each other. <laughs> We're eating the Son of God, for God's sake. <laughs> Somehow that's okay, and what they do isn't. Seriously? <laughs> I mean, really. We learn to laugh at ourselves <laughs> for what we think is okay, and, and more to the point, what we think is not okay. <laughs> How we judge all what everybody else is doing. <laughs> And then paragraph 8, never believe you can sacrifice. It's impossible. You didn't sacrifice your own identity. You can't sacrifice your own identity. You put it that way, of course you can't. <laughs> your identity is who you are. How can you kill yourself? <laughs> you can't kill yourself. Your true self. Never believe that you can sacrifice. There is no place for sacrifice in what has any value. If the thought of sacrifice occur, occurs, its very presence proved that error has arisen. The error being we bought into the tiny mad error of sacrifice, the tiny mad idea of separation. Error has arisen, and then correction must be made. I gotta let go of this stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to change the world, I just have to let go of believing there is a world. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I don't know which one is harder sometimes. <laughs> That's why we go running back to trying to fix the world. We don't want to let go of believing it's real and taking all of our ideas of sacrifice and putting it out there. Your blessing will correct it. The blessing of innocence, the blessing of awaking to holiness. We work through those first two steps of forgiveness, and that's what the blessing is. We wake the holiness, and then we offer it to our brothers and ourselves. Line six, no form of sacrifice and suffering can long endure before the face of one who has forgiven and has blessed himself. And we work through the process of forgiveness. We start with our brothers that we are pointing the finger at. We wind up moving back towards, you know, Matrix Central, where the real sacrifice came from, and then we forgive ourselves for 
let go of believing that with Jesus's help, of course. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I was actually going to do a meditation, an opening meditation, but the class is more than half over. <laughs> But we'll, we'll, we'll close with, with a nice meditation about letting go of kind of what, what Tony was saying. We, we let go of believing we have to sacrifice joy and peace and love in order to have what we have. So, that, I mean, that's where the course is going. In, uh, in um, paragraph uh, 7 in the text, page 324, Paragraph 7 is the end of uh, the previous section, on the, really on the body, and the way the ego uses the body to keep God away. And, and in paragraph 7, he really sums it up um, in line 2. As you let the Holy Spirit teach you how to use the body only for purposes of communication. Communication, of course, is always... Um, joining in the experience of holiness with our brother. That's what gets communicated is holiness. Not verbally, not like I tell you something and you tell me something. But communication, of course, probably 99% of the time is all about sharing in this awareness of holiness. That's, that's what we communicate. So there will be no interference. Um, yeah. As you let the Holy Spirit teach you how to use the body only for purposes of sharing that holiness and renounce its use for separation and attack. He could have said renounce the body's use for belief in separation. Obviously, I'm a body and you're a body over there and we're obviously separated. So, you know, obviously it reinforces our belief in separation. But attack, meaning judgment. Meaning, now I attack you, I judge you, because you robbed me of my peace. So there's two reasons for the body. First of all, it insists that we are separated, and it's not my fault. My parents had me, I didn't choose this. And I have to judge you then, because look what you're trying to do. You're constantly demanding me to sacrifice. How unfair is that? And now I don't fess up to how much I'm demanding you to sacrifice, too. So it could be renounce its use for separation and sacrifice, our belief in sacrifice. The flip sides of the same coin. You can't have separation without guilt. You can't have separation without sacrifice. You can't believe in one and not believe in the other. So that's what the body's for. It maintains those two things. But it's not just we chose to be separate, but we chose to believe in this awful stuff too. And then judge other people for it. The attack is the attack on our brothers, but ultimately it's the attack on ourselves. It's the attack on our own identity. So the body, the ego uses his body to insist the separation is real and attack, meaning somebody has to sacrifice in order to keep my body going. Vegetables have to sacrifice. <laughs> you have to sac sacrifice your time and energy to prove that you love this body. <laughs> you think I'm okay. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever ways we want to put it, that's what's going on. That's what we have to look at. So we renounce the use for separation and sacrifice, which the ego sees in it 
and you will learn you have no need of a body at all. You won't be in, invested in believing you're a body. You'll let, you'll let go of the idea of sacrifice, the need for sacrifice. You'll let go of the, the need for guilt, <laughs> the need to see guilt out there everywhere, the need to see guilt inside yourself. I mean, all that stuff goes. Once again, you pull the rug on any one of those things and all the, all the rest of it begins to crumble. It's a house of cards. In the holy instant, line three, there are no bodies. There, and there's certainly no investment in bodies, in believing we are bodies. And you experience only the attraction of God. So let's actually look at a few of the things in the time of rebirth. Paragraph one. It, it seems to be, he says it is, it is in your power and time to delay the perfect union of the Father and the Son. That's really impossible, which is the whole atonement principle. But in time and space, it seems like we can delay that. For in this world, the attraction of guilt, the attraction of sacrifice, does stand between the Father and the Son. Does stand between us believing we're bodies and waking up to our true identity. So, I mean, that's what the bodies are for to keep us blocked in this um, misidentification with a not-self. Neither time nor season. And he starts talking about Christmas season. <laughs> I think it's a, you know, a play from the Bible, probably a play on a lot of songs. But um, neither time nor season, in this case Christmas season, means anything in eternity. One way of looking at heaven, it's an eternal Christmas. It's, Christmas just doesn't happen on December 25th. Christmas is always happening. There is no season of Christmas in heaven because it's all heaven. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. It's all joy and light. And, 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 and life doesn't have to eat life <laughs> in order to stay alive in heaven. <laughs> Neither time nor season means anything in eternity. But here... In seeming time and space, it is the Holy Spirit's function to use them both. Time, to use time, to use this Christmas season. Though not as the ego uses them. <laughs> that should be fairly apparent at this point. This is the season when you would celebrate my birth into the world. You know, all of Christianity, I mean, we get all hyped about, you know, Jesus is born into the world. Well, he came into the, I mean, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> I mean, we kind of avoid the whole crucifixion story because we're so busy celebrating the poor kid's birth into the world. But he came to suffer and die for our sins, for God's sake. We kind of like blow that off <laughs> until Easter. <laughs> but at least for Christmas Day, we're all excited about poor Jesus got born as a body. But he came here to suffer and die from the Christian point of view. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a reason to celebrate, for God's sake. <laughs> you, <laughs> you would celebrate my birth into the world, yet you know not how to do it. Truly celebrate it. Let the Holy Spirit teach you and let me celebrate your birth through him. That's why the section is called the time of rebirth. 
we wake up to we don't have to sacrifice. We wake up to we don't have to be guilty. We're reborn into that awareness of guiltlessness. We're reborn into that awareness of no need to sacrifice. The only gift I can accept of you is the gift I gave to you. That your holiness is still intact and you're still one with me. That was the gift. Not that I have to suffer and die for your sins. <laughs> but that your holiness and my holiness is still a done deal. That's the real message of Christmas. And then an interesting one, uh, line eight. Then the only gift I can accept you is the gift I gave to you. Release me, line nine, as I choose your own release. This is one of those kind of weird phrases where Jesus says, you have to forgive me. You have to release me from believing I came to suffer and die for your sins. I mean, the whole message is we're guilty and he has to die for it. I mean, how, how is that not supposed to make us feel guilty? <laughs> He's the innocent son of God that has to die for me. Am I really not supposed to feel guilt when I hear that? <laughs> this was done for you. Every time you look at a, a crucifix, Jesus hanging on the cross, the message is this was done for you because of what you did. He's saying, release me from that idea of sacrifice, that I had to sacrifice for you. That, and you have to sacrifice for me. Now you have to suffer and die for me the way I suffered and died for you. Release me from that idea. Release me as I choose your release from sinfulness. The time of Christ we celebrate together, for it has no meaning if we are apart. He goes on, the holy instant... The third step of forgiveness is truly the time of Christ. Christ is reborn every time we hit that third step of forgiveness in our awareness. We wake up. We're reborn into that awareness. For in this liberating instant, no guilt is laid upon the Son of God by you, by me. We stop laying guilt on Jesus we stop laying guilt on ourselves. And his unlimited power is thus restored to him, to our awareness. What other gift can you offer me when only this I choose to offer you? He offers us guiltlessness. He's not saying you're guilty and I have to die for your sins. He's saying you're guiltless. There is no death, period. You can't die as a, as a son of God. You can't sacrifice your true identity. So don't ask me to sacrifice for you. I'm not asking you to sacrifice for me. Line three, what other gift can you offer me when I only choose to offer you? And to see me is to see me in everyone. The way we see Jesus is our willingness to see it, he, his essence, his innocence in everybody, especially the ones we don't like, especially them, and offer everyone the gift you offer me. I am as incapable of receiving sacrifice as God is. 
We don't have to chop off the goat's head. <laughs> we don't have to hang Jesus on the cross. We don't have to throw the virgin in the mountain to appease the volcano god. We don't have to sacrifice. We're already okay. <laughs> we don't have to build whole religions around sacrifice. <laughs> we don't have to go through our day thinking I have to sacrifice myself in order for you to love me. <laughs> I mean, it's just everywhere in everything we do. If we're identifying with ourselves as a body that needs to do this kind of stuff. Separation and attack. Separation and sacrifice. And every sacrifice you ask of yourself, you ask of me. Learn now that sacrifice of any kind is nothing but a limitation imposed on giving. Instead of giving you holiness, instead of giving you, I, instead of blessing you because I bless myself, I condemn you because I condemn myself. I insist you must be sacrificed because I'm insisting I must be sacrificed. Because look what I did. I left heaven. <laughs> I sacrificed our true reality as God's son, and now I'm blaming you for it. Any, any, anything about all that? I mean, it's real. Once again, it's really heavy-duty stuff. But I mean, it's really what it becomes. Once we start looking at this, it really becomes a motivation for let it go, to let it go. Because, like Alan was saying, you start looking at this stuff and how bad it is. Why would you want to continue doing it? <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. You would smile at the idea of sacrifice if it's not necessary, if it's all made up. Go ahead, Alexa. Tim, I have a question or something like this. Um, I found that the idea of sacrifice for me is the most insidious and toxic when looking at special love relationships. It feels like I need to, like, I, like, I, like the, the special love relationship is the virgin and the Holy Spirit is the volcano. Like, I need to do, but, and I know that that's not what's being asked, but it just, that's where the contention with me comes from with, I think, the teaching in general. Sometimes I'm able to get through it by realizing that sacrifice as an idea simply is not real. But it still hurts day to day thinking that eventually I have to lose things that I love. And I, I haven't really found a way to solve that other than sacrifice is not real. And that's not really a concept that I can hold on to in my head at all the time. I'm yeah. wondering if you've come across that. So, I mean, all this stuff on paper sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I bless you because I bless myself. <laughs> Sacrifice is not needed. However, to get to that awareness, we first have to, um, different ways to put it, we have to go through those first two steps of forgiveness to realize sacrifice isn't needed. So first I have to fess up to how much I'm whining, <laughs> usually about something you did or didn't do. You know, whether it's a mess you made in the kitchen or, or, or it's the mess you made on the highway or, you know, it's the mess you made in politics. I'm usually whining about something, meaning I'm, I'm blaming somebody for something. I'm saying the guilt's out there. So it's that guilt that we need to look at first. We're not calling it that. We're just saying I'm blaming somebody for something. So first we own that, you know, we're pointing the finger, that we're whining about something somebody did. And we're saying they're not the Son of God is what, what really is underneath that. So am I willing to see you the way Jesus does? 
and my willing to stop insisting you rob me of my peace. You know, the, one of the ways to describe forgiveness is what we see out there is just a picture, the, is an outward picture of an inward condition. Meaning, what if I'm really judging myself? I'm not really judging you. What if, what if I'm the one that's demanding sacrifice? What if I'm the one that's insisting God, I, I threw God away and now I should be punished? Whatever words we want to use in the second step of forgiveness. So we don't just jump into, I don't have to sacrifice. We just don't jump, just jump into, I, I'll love you instead of sacrificing you. <laughs> but first we have to look at how much we are judging and we are sacrificing and we believe that's necessary in order to get to that place of letting all that go. We have to be motivated to let go of our judgments. We have to be motivated to let go of our sacrifice. We got to realize how painful it is. Like what's really going on underneath the surface when what Alan was talking about. How painful all that is. And that becomes the motivation to actually begin to work through the process of letting it go. So yeah, I mean, special love relationships, when you define them on paper, they look terrible. But the way to let them go is to look, begin to look at how much I'm still blaming the other guy for something, even if I think I love them. How much I'm still whining about something they're doing. And he's saying, don't deny your whining. Don't, say, don't even say, I'm going to stop whining. <laughs> no, bring your whining to him, <laughs> to Jesus, because <laughs> he can take it. <laughs> don't take your whining to the person you're whining about. <laughs> it would probably just make it worse. But take your whining to Jesus, because <laughs> he can take all the whining all day long. That's his job. <laughs> and you can whine to him. Yeah, you can give him all the yeah buts, look what they did, and look how terrible they were. And, and he's just going to give you the usual answer. Something like, yeah, but what's that got to do with you? <laughs> Why are you reacting? Why are you insisting what they did is affecting your peace? And then so eventually it backs up to us, like what we're hanging on to internally. So, yeah, special love is really icky, <laughs> but we just need to look at it. Somebody trying to... Jump in there. Yeah, uh, this is Wade. I was just going to say that uh, I certainly can relate to struggling with concepts in the course. And one, you know, it's, it's the whole course is extremely confrontational when it, because our ego just totally will not like what it hears. Uh, but one thing I like to think about is just how would I behave if I did understand these concepts? <laughs> and, and, and just to try to to try to ease into and relax into that until I do one, until I catch up with what my spirit does understand. I, that's all I have. Yeah. And I think that that's what Jesus asked us to do. Like in the first step of forgiveness, Ken Wapnick would always say, obviously you believe you're upset for the reason you think. But what would it be like if you were not upset for the reason you think? What if you're not upset for the reason you think? You put a little what if in front of it. <laughs> what if? What if I'm not upset for the reason I think? What would it be like if, if the reason I was upset with, had nothing to do with what I think it is, whatever you did or didn't do? What if I'm not really upset about something you did or didn't do? So what would that be like? And then the second step of forgiveness is what would it be like 
if I was just hanging out with Jesus and I, I was letting him love me in this moment instead of insisting that he can't because of what I did. The second step of forgiveness is, is the dark night of the soul where we're insisting we're not the Son of God. It's a terrible place to be. Judy? Um, I'm confused. Um, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> about when I'm sacrificing and when I'm not. Um, it seems to me almost like there's good sacrificing and bad sacrificing. So with Mother Teresa, I, I don't really like to use her because she's so far out of my can. I don't think she thought of herself as sacrificing. Her idea of love was, was she was doing things for the love of God. Doing things for the love of God is not necessarily sacrificing. Um, depending on what, what's going on inside. Um, so, I mean, so when I make a decision that involves delaying gratification. When I, um, for instance, I moved, I moved back to Ontario because my husband and I made a decision to be with our grandchildren. That involved a lot of so-called sacrifice, but it was for a greater good. I don't even like like it when I say that. So something must be amiss. I I I think I'm getting my my confusion is of behavior and the the um, oh yeah what is what is involved in behavior here, and I I think the course tells me that I don't have to function on behavior, I just have to function look to my thoughts and forget about behavior. Behavior comes from my thoughts. So therefore, I do not have to look at what I did or didn't do. I have to look at what my intention was. That's and so helpful. behavior will follow. That's so clarifying, thank you. And, and what I would add, um, a, way, a way of redefining that is, I take the focus off on, am I gonna hang out with my grandkids, my, my, my children, or not, on that behavior and put it on how do I perceive them, whether I hang out with them or not. In other words, I mean, we're going to do what we do. Of course, we're going to hang out with our families if we're drawn to do that. Why wouldn't we? It'd be silly not to. However, in any given moment, if I'm not feeling joy and peace right now, it's because I'm still believing in sacrifice. I pretend I'm not, and, and I'm often running with feeling like, mea culpa, poor me, victimized Oh, that's, that's so helpful. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, we're going to do what we do just as we do it. I mean, brush your teeth with, with, with the Holy Spirit. It'll be a whole new experience. <laughs> You'll love your toothbrush. <laughs> You'll love your toothpaste. <laughs> You'll love brushing your teeth. <laughs> it won't be a drag. If you brush your teeth with the ego, it's got to be a drag. And behind that, you're going to be looking for somebody to blame something on. If you're moving back with your grandchildren, <laughs> do with the Holy Spirit, meaning look at how much you don't want to see them the way the Holy Spirit does. If you're not feeling absolute peace about that. Absolutely. 
So whether, you know, whether it's the news, whether it's our grandchildren, <laughs> you know, yeah. am I willing to see them in this moment, in this moment, the way Jesus does? That's why he's always saying, just step back in the morning, step back at night, and just review your day and be willing to see all those people you are interacting with or that you're thinking about the way I see them. Be willing to do that. Meaning, you got to admit, first of all, you, you're holding a little bit of grievance here and there. <laughs> and maybe I could see them a different way. Yeah. Yeah. That's Otherwise, it's, it's got to be sacrifice. Yeah. Everything we do, I brush my teeth in the morning. Why do I have to brush my teeth, for God's sake? Yeah. <laughs> I had the same teeth yesterday. Every day I got to take care of these things. Why do I have to spend so much time taking care of my body? <laughs> Who's, who's, whose fault is that? <laughs> Look what my parents did. They brought me into this world. Now I have to suffer. I have to brush my teeth every morning. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> and on and on and on. And on and on and on. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Tim, I had a question. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was wondering if you could help me with the, uh, like a real life scenario. I'm, I'm getting sucked into the world here. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> so help me, I guess, with how to apply the course with this. Uh, my wife on Sunday filmed an altercation with the police and some children getting thrown on the pavement oh. in Aurora. And going over there and, uh, well, first she, she called me and she's like, I'm, I can't believe what I'm witnessing. What should I do? I said, just hang up and start recording. Um so she started recording these police putting these children on the ground uh, and um, uh, and I'm like thinking to myself, as soon as I got off the phone with her, I'm like, oh, my, my wife has got a big mouth. She's either going to get arrested or beat up. <laughs> but anyway, I go over there and I see all this now, you know, now it's, it's kind of blown up into a, a national thing and you know, getting contacted by everybody about it and all that kind of stuff. So I guess, how do you go through, I guess, something like that and just kind of see, I don't know, use the course to kind of detach from the, all that, I guess. I don't know. I, I think it goes back to the same issue with anything, Judy moving back with, or grandchildren or not, same thing as dealing with this situation that obviously you've got caught up in is, you know, you step back when you can, you sit quietly with Jesus and you ask to see the police the way Jesus sees the police. You ask to see the kids on the ground the way Jesus sees the kids on the ground. You ask to see your wife the way Jesus sees your wife. You ask to see yourself the way Jesus sees you. You ask to see Jesus the way Jesus sees Jesus. <laughs> I mean, everybody involved is an opportunity for you, for us, to shift our awareness up, to move up from the body stuff, the obvious, you know, police, kids on the ground, body stuff, to what's really going, what is that a reflection of? If I'm doing it with my ego, it's got to be a reflection of crazy. If I'm doing, if I'm looking at that, each of those people with the Holy Spirit, I will see beyond the the seeming sacrifice, the seeming pain, the seeming unjust unfairness of it all. 
I mean, that, that's what each opportunity is for, is I take everybody in each of those situations, especially the ones that are pushing my buttons, or not. I mean, they might not be pushing your buttons. But if I'm doing it with the ego, on some level, they will be pushing my buttons. Whether it's my wife, who, you know, maybe it should, she should be recording it, <laughs> even though she might get beat up or whatever. But, I mean, in time and space, there's a lot of shoulds. But Jesus is trying to get us to step above the shoulds, which really implies sacrifice. Should is sacrifice. <laughs> and, and back to the just, am I willing to see each of those individuals in that scenario the way Jesus is seeing them? And, and do it. You know, just, I mean, make time. Make time to step back when you have time to uh, connect with Jesus and see everybody in that the way he is. It's hard when, uh, you I'm know, all these senses are, I mean, all my five senses are, are getting just bombarded. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I'm getting oh, back it's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting back to something you said before about brushing your teeth. Uh, you know, but brushing your teeth came to my mind. Well, the solution may be not to brush your teeth. Uh, but, but that's not the solution because we still believe we live in this world. So if you see a situation where that gets to you and, 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 and you have to react to and you're concerned about, you, you react to it, you're concerned about it, and, and you can look at it and hopefully laugh at it at some point. But while it's happening, uh, I have to recognize I am in this world. I do believe that. And I can touch my computer and I can have things harm me. But there is a, there is a, there is a way to just observe it at some point and observe the silliness of the whole thing because it too passes. But keep brushing your teeth. Yeah, right. Yeah, and keep doing what we do. I mean, once again, whenever I get really crazy about something, when the proverbial doo-doo hits the fan, and it will, if, I, if I'm operating in ego mode and I'm pretending everything's fine, it'll come out crazy somewhere, either in a personal relationship or even in some social setting like what you're going through. So when that doo-doo hits the fan, it makes me remember if I'm thinking about it, that I really need to up my spiritual work here. I need to get to a meeting. I need to pray. I need to make more time to sit with Jesus and look at everybody the way he is. I mean, it's just, it's a call. Since, since I'm not dealing with this in a very <laughs> rational or, or a calm way, and, and who, you know, like, especially when the doo-doo really hits the fan like this, because um, it's coming at you from every direction, um, that's, that's a, I think we really need to up our spiritual attention because it, it does seem crazier than usual. It's not actually any crazier than usual. It just seems crazier than usual. But since I, it feels crazier than usual, I'm experiencing as crazier than usual, then I really need to make more time to step back and, and open the book, <laughs> read a line, sit with Jesus, apply it to all these people involved, and, and let him do what he does. And he will, if, if we just step back and let him do that. It won't be as crazy. 
it won't be as overwhelming. But I think on a, on a, on a practical level, <laughs> in terms of being trying to get through any situation that seems to blow up in our face and we feel overwhelmed by it, it it's just a call to step up our spiritual whatever it is we're doing. Chris, this has got you so overwhelmed, you just disappeared right from the screen. <laughs> Are you there, Chris? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm on my work laptop, so it's, it, oh, okay. it's uh, the, the screen is closed, so you're getting, you're getting uh, San Francisco. I disappeared to San Francisco. Right. I bet you wish you were there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the the Aurora thing's a trip. <laughs> sure is. I mean, on on a scale that's that it, you know, it's not, it didn't even stay local; it's national. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you got all that coming at you, man. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. My wife's getting bombarded. And, oh lord. And uh, obviously, the victim is too. We be we've become friends after that whole scenario. Uh, but yeah. Whew. Yeah. So. Like they always say in 12 steps, you know, and like even dealing with an addiction, which is pretty serious. <laughs> if the addiction flares up, pray. <laughs> if, if if you want to use again, pray. <laughs> if, if something happens, I mean, and then certainly in terms of the course, with all this stuff flaring up, you know, you, you, you kind of have to step up. If you, if you want to try to be a little calm through it all, you have to, we have to step up our spiritual work. <laughs> David? I think Monica had her hand up. Oh, go ahead, Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, when the senses are activated, it's really powerful. And um, we have all these judgments, which then it seems like that that's when we're marching up to the volcano. And in our human mind, we think we're giving something in order to get something. And we're ne that's never happening. It's just what we think our eyes are seeing that's got us trapped. But when I'm in that position, which I am a lot, because, you know, I, I get to that human plane a lot, I have to go to this, please remove the blocks to my peace. When I say that, I'm not dealing with the human world anymore. I'm just asking to remove the blocks that are standing in the way of my peace. Because otherwise, I'm on the human plane going, here's this person who I love, or here's this person that I hate, and I'm giving something in order to get something. And that's, that's never worked for me. That's what I wanted to say. Thanks. Thanks, Monica. So, I mean, and what Monica was saying, you know, rephrases the uh, introduction to the course. This is not a course about love. <laughs> This is not a course about uh, even peace, but it's about removing the blocks to our awareness that love is a done deal. That peace is already a done deal, no matter what I'm seeing happening in Aurora or anywhere on the planet. That though, though, and those blocks are the judgments I have about each of those individuals involved in any situation, Aurora or not. I mean, those are the blocks. The blocks are always the judgments. The blocks are always hanging on to the idea of sacrifice, meaning somebody has to pay to play in this situation. Somebody was wrong. Somebody did something terrible. So, just, 
kind of had a, I, I was just thinking, I just kind of had an awareness is like, it's an, an opportunity for, to practice this and to um, practice forgiveness and to, um, you know, it, I, I don't know. It just, um, I figure, you know, this would be something that you can draw back on. Like, yeah, now I was able to work through this and, and see this differently. And now I can use that as a touch point uh, with other opportunities coming, you know. So I think if, if I have the mindset of, oh, great, this is, this is an opportunity for, for getting saved, I guess, right? Um, you know. Another opportunity for that, I guess, can't be a bad thing. So yeah, and 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 when we get to that point of of being peaceful, where we realize it was the same opportunity I had brushing my teeth. It, there won't be no hierarchy of Aurora's worse than brushing my teeth. I mean, right now it obviously looks like and feels like Aurora is way worse than than how how and how often I brush my teeth. But I mean, it's it's. Once again, the course is never about behavior. It's about how am I seeing the people involved in this situation. It's about my perception of them and me. So that's what I'm trying to change here. Is I'm literally asking Jesus not to fix anything in the world. I'm asking him to fix my perception. Help me see them the way you are. The seeming victimizers and the seeming victims. I mean, don't leave either one out. I mean, if we leave the victimizers out there, us too. If we leave the victims out there, us too. And we can't not see them and judge either both of them if we're in ego mode. And we'll stop judging both of them when we get to that third step of forgiveness. And you'll know when you're there. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely an opportunity to step up and ask to have our perceptions changed. The perceptions are the blocks to our awareness that love is already a done deal, no matter what the police did, no matter what the victims did, no matter who or what I'm describing as the victim. Yeah, powerful classroom, <laughs> but they're all powerful. <laughs> they, are, they really are. <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe it was a six-year-old's tiara that that made the the police think she stole the vehicle. Huh. You know? <laughs> Just. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, I mean, I I could see how I would be looking at it, and I'd seriously be needing to pray for to see the cops the way <laughs> the way Jesus sees them, because that that would be my my classroom. But, you know, I mean, if you're on the other side of the fence and, and law and order and stuff, then you're going to see all kinds of things differently. So yeah. it's all about perception. It's all about perception. Yeah, everyone has a different perception. I mean, while my wife is there filming that, some lady comes up to her and tells her, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're causing division in this country. Mm -hmm. You should right. be backing right. the police. So the the the... the and the opposites of, of everything. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. So, and then she becomes another person. I'd have to pray. Yep. <laughs> Jesus, please help me see her. I'm yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> help me not slap her. Right. <laughs> well, don't do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, it's, it's not like, about correcting Alan, behavior. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like Alan said, 
just brush your teeth. Like, like don't <laughs> slap anybody. <laughs> just at least behaviorally, don't do that. <laughs> but and then step back and pray for them. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody gets locked up. <laughs> You could pray while you're in jail. If it go, you know, <laughs> Jesus would go to jail with you if you wind up in jail. <laughs> go ahead, Russ. So, so I'm I'm listening to that, and I'm saying, oh well, yeah. There's a great opportunity to see the projection of guilt because I can, you know, if I'm well, there we go. The officer is obviously guilty. He he's you know doing something to a six-year-old. So wow, it's not me that's guilty. Wow, I can easily project that guilt onto the officer. Wow, that lady that uh, is you know she's projecting her guilt. Well, it's all about you, but you know it's wow. There's there it is. She's projecting her guilt onto onto your wife. Wow, look at that. There it is in action. You know, you look at the coronavirus and you go, wow, what a great opportunity to isolate everybody. What a great opportunity to, to just promote fear and guilt. And, and, and to me, that's the, you know, part of the way to see the world. Wow, there it is in black and white, the fear, the guilt, the, the blame, all these things that the world was made for. And then obviously we need to reframe that and say, oh, that's what it was made for. But the Holy Spirit, this course is telling us to reframe that and say, no, 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 don't see it that way. See it with my eyes, see it with the Holy Spirit's eyes, see it with Jesus' eyes. That's the process, but let's reframe it and see it, you know, as uh, Tim was saying, see it through Jesus' eyes sit with Jesus and say, how would Jesus see it? And, and part of the wake up is, um, it's not the lady projecting her guilt on somebody and it's not the cops projecting their guilt. It's always me projecting my guilt on everybody involved. I mean, it's not their guilt. <laughs> their guilt's their issue. <laughs> but my guilt that I'm projecting on, if I'm seeing guilt being projected, it's my guilt. Right. It's my call for love. So, I mean, at some point we'll, we'll get to that. If, if we start asking for help, first thing to do is just say, help, Jesus, help. The lady <laughs> Second thing too is, much, we, we think. Yeah, right. But, but isn't it also to see that that's what we made the world for, is for guilt, for keeping us here, for fear. So it's just doing exactly what we made it for. Right. What I made my dream for is to keep me here, is to keep me in fear, to keep me in guilt. So it's just, wow, look at how brilliantly it's doing that. You know, rather than saying, like you said, Tim, or rather than saying the lady is projecting her guilt. No, it's the world that I projected, that I made up, is doing exactly what it was made for. You know, on a different level, perhaps, right? <laughs> it's the perfect lesson that the child asked for. Now, I'm not saying don't interfere, but it also can be the perfect lesson of the ch for the child. Yeah, Ken always said, you, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, all you, all you need to worry about is how you're seeing it. I mean, uh, and we could deliberate all day long. <laughs> 
about that possibility, you know, and, you know, it, it, who knows? But, exactly. yeah, but, but my responsibility is how am I seeing it? And, and the, everybody else's responsibility is how they're seeing it. And by the way, if you're looking at it as, as also the perfect lesson for the child, it doesn't mean that you don't have to stop in and stop it because that also can be your perfect lesson. Yeah, and, and hopefully, however you deal with it, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be dealing with it from the point of view of seeing everybody involved in innocence rather than guilt. And if you don't, then, that, then when you have a chance to step back and look at it again and reflect with Jesus on everybody who was involved, then, then you have a chance to regroup once again yourself and see them. These are all, whether, you know, whether it's an opportunity from the past, five minutes ago, yesterday, <laughs> something happened a long time ago, what our parents did to us. I mean, just, just believing where a body is rough, <laughs> whether, whether you're a body that's blatantly attacked or not, it's rough. It's hard to believe you're a body and not suffer. In fact, it's impossible to believe you're a body and other people are bodies and not suffer. It, it doesn't look like a choice. We don't want to realize it's a choice the way we see ourselves. Let's close. Um, think, well, we'll end with paragraph 9 on page 326. Jesus sums up this section. In, this, in the first line, he's talking about you can't have a little bit of ego and you can't have a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> you kind of have to, like, choose one or the other. For, you know, for a while, it looks like you're moving slowly from one to the other. It seems like there's a little bit of both. But ultimately, you can't have the ego without being, seeing everybody guilty. And you can't have Jesus without seeing everybody innocent. So if, if you're seeing somebody guilty, that means you're ego-oriented, even one person. <laughs> if you're seeing everybody innocent, then it's because you see Jesus, seeing with Jesus. But if you're leaving anybody out of that innocence, then it can't be partial. It means you're still aligned with the ego. Not to beat yourself up just means there's still more work to do. There's still some issue you're hanging on to as a defense against seeing where the real guilt is coming from. So that's what he says here. Paragraph 9, we'll read this, get quiet a little bit. You will not succeed in being partial hostage to the ego, for it keeps no bargains and would leave you nothing. Nor can you be partial host to ego. You must choose between total freedom and total bondage, there are no alternatives but these. You have tried many compromises in the attempt to avoid recognizing the one decision you must make. And yet it is in the recognition of the decision just as it is that makes the decision so easy. Salvation is simple, being of God and therefore very easy to understand. Do not try to project it from you and see it outside yourself. In you, in you are both the question and the answer. In you are the demand for sacrifice 
and the peace of God. We'll get quiet a little bit. Gently, gently hang in there. <laughs> hang in there, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Hang in there, everybody. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thank thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Very good. Thank thanks. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. See you.